is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hi, this is Ben Cerruti uh, of Birds on the Black, welcoming you into Conversations with Cerruti. And today uh, we are going to discuss Yadier Molina. Uh, after the incredible trade for Nolan Arenado and the re-signing of Adam Wainwright, I think that most Cardinals fans' minds turned to the subject of do they re-sign Yadier Molina and how quickly can they do that? Well, Derek Gould uh, post-dispatch beat writer for the Cardinals last night, put out a tweet that said, oh, and Yadier Molina, Arenado's future teammate, hit a home run tonight in the Caribbean series. So making it look much more like a probability than a possibility. Uh, today to talk about catcher Yadier Molina, I am bringing in uh, a former collegiate uh, catcher, a current Principal, but also has a brother who is in the major leagues. Uh, Jason Hanniger, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to talk about the catching position and uh, just share a little bit of what I know, obviously, from my experience as both a player and as a coach and being connected to various guys that are in the bigs. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, just to give Jason, uh, Jason will get into his background here in a sec, just to give you uh, a little bit of it, and then he can expound upon it. Um, Jason Hanniger was a catcher at Georgia Tech uh, at the same time as guys like Matt Wieters and Blake Wood and Charlie Blackman and Derek Dietrich, some guys you probably have heard of playing in the big leagues. Um Jason was a very good offensive presence. He had over 400 at-bats and hit 19 homers, had 90-plus runs, 90-plus RBIs, over a 900 OPS, and was eventually drafted, uh, it looks like, after your junior year by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your catching background? Yeah, so uh, background grew up in California um, and ended up getting recruited to play at Georgia Tech, uh, which was a great experience. Um, it really challenged me getting to come in behind Matt Wieters. Uh, we were one year apart. Uh, as far as grade level goes. And so um, Matt was clear owner of that of that spot. So I learned a lot from playing behind him. And it also pushed me and motivated me to get better. You know, when you're playing high school ball, um, you're usually the best in the area. And when you get to that division one level, everybody's good and another level of type of good. So I, my freshman and sophomore year was challenged a lot to just continue to improve and learn. And, and finally, my junior year, when Matt had got drafted in the first round, had the opportunity to catch on a regular basis, um, had a good junior year and was drafted by the Pirates in the 19th round. Uh, what I felt my signability was uh, and versus what was offered did not line up. And since I had already played, really, I've really only started for one year at that point. I, I thought it was in my best interest to continue at school. 
um, and got to play my senior year, had another good year. Uh, and during that time, had a lot of great opportunities, as you mentioned, to play with players that are still performing at a high level uh, in the big leads. Uh, you mentioned my brother and Charlie Blackman, um, but even some other close friends and roommates that I had are, are still tied to Major League Baseball as well. So it's been a great experience to continue to learn about the game and how it's changed um, from even 10, 15 years ago when I was playing as well. Awesome. And then uh, I think that I failed to mention your brother by name. So Mitch Hanniger of the Seattle Mariners is to whom Jason and I are referring. Um, so I just had a few questions for you here today just because of uh, our relationship working together um, and knowing your background as a catcher. But I know that we are both short on time. So um, when you think about the catching position in the upper levels of baseball, so collegiate ball, minor leagues, major leagues, what do you believe are the most important characteristics of a catcher? Yeah, that's a great question because I'll take a step back from that. As a high school club coach, um, there there usually is a lot of variance in the statistics and, and physical attributes of catchers. So it really can be exposed at that level. But as you move up the ranks into college and in the professional game, um, the variance slims. You know, the ability for guys to throw guys out and their ability to receive and block, it starts to be pretty um, level playing field. And so characteristics of a catcher are really what I feel those intangibles that really set guys apart. Um, that's from my own experience, but also talking with guys that are still in the game. And so some of those characteristics that really stand out are just interpersonal skills. You know, I think that if there's one position on a field that uh, in the in the sport of baseball where people are having to work with one another, learn each other's um, strengths and weaknesses, and uh, whether it be through communication or nonverbals is, is the catching position. And so interpersonal skills is huge, uh, being, being a leader. And there's really, I see two types of leaders and sometimes they meld together, but you have those that lead by example. Uh, and at the college level, Matt Wieters was definitely a lead by example type guy, usually a little bit more quiet, but put in the work, um, and lived what we all said we wanted to do. And then you have leaders too that are vocal leaders and going to be more rah-rah and pump you up. And I think there's a place for both of those types of guys on teams, but uh, catchers definitely need to be one of those two, if not both, uh, to be able to command a field and command a pitching staff. Uh, they need to be a good listener and uh, know how to challenge guys in appropriate ways. So a lot of times pitchers can kind of fall into like a type A personality, type B, and you go about those relationships and motivation differently. So being astute and understanding what the situation calls for is important. Um, I think work ethic and, you know, taking the time outside of practice in the game to watch film, study hitters and and really fully understand and prep for games uh, in advance is is crucial to success, not only for the catcher themselves, but for the pitching staff. So those are the, those are the things that really stick out to me. Awesome. And that's just such great information. Uh, do you have any examples of guys that you played with that were leaders in both capacities? Um, let me think about that there. As far as on the national scale, the guys that are up there right now that you had mentioned, those were a lot of those guys were more lead by example, I would say. Um, I can't think of any that were vocal leaders. I would say I, I I feel that that was a strength of mine on the vocal side, but obviously I didn't make it to that level, so that wouldn't be <laughs> a good example. Um, just to give perspective to my brother Mitch, he he has 
He is a guy that is a lead by example, humble, puts his head down, puts the work in, but he's slowly developing into that clubhouse leader type player um, is what I read from, you know, the media that's pushed out there from the Seattle mayor. So the, the cool thing about that is I think it's harder to learn how to work hard. I think it's easier to learn how to come out of your shell and know how to respond and, and pump guys up or give correction as needed. Um, and I think sometimes for younger players in the big leagues, it takes time to develop that and grow into that role. And, and I think Mitch is getting to, to that point in his career. Very cool. Awesome. Um, so transitioning from the characteristics, but back to that. So, so say you've got two guys that they both put in the work. They're both super talented. Um, when you think about the catching positions at the upper levels, still, what do you believe are the most important stats for a catcher? Sure. You know what? Any that you look at and 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 just jump out of the page at you. Well, it's interesting because um, it was what are we? We're in 2021, so I finished, about 10 years ago was when I finished my college career, and nobody had a, a way of measuring um, the ability to steal strikes or uh, measuring the receiving aspect of baseball. That was all just done visually, right through yeah, scouting and things of that nature. And so it's it's interesting to watch how the game has developed and the metrics have changed to be able to measure that because that is such a huge impact. Um, so I think that's a, a, a top measurement for sure. Um, I was talking with Mitch as I prepared for this podcast and we talked about throwing guys out in that percentage. Although it's important, it doesn't always necessarily tell the whole story. Uh, and that's true at lower levels of baseball. You know, whether my pitching staff is sliding to home, mixing up their looks, picking over, um, if, if they don't make that a priority, uh, which at times pitchers can get kind of locked into what they're doing and not always command the running game, um, it can have an impact on the catcher's uh, throwing percentage. So I think there's a bigger story to tell besides what's just on, on the page. Uh, and then as far as offensive production, I, OPS is, is definitely the one that stands out the most because the reality is you got to get guys on base to score runs and whether they're doing that through hits or walks, um, it's really irrelevant as long as guys are getting on base and making an impact in that matter. All right. And one thing uh, that, that goes along with what you were saying about the pitchers holding people on is, is I think, um, but along with that goes the reputation of the catcher too. We we've seen in St. Louis that, uh, Yadier Molina's pop times and his pitch framing and, and certain things are reaching that that age level decline. But one thing is that his arm is is not really reaching that decline, and that players are still scared to run against him. They just don't even attempt it still. So whether he whether his arm is as good as it was in 2006 or 2010 or 2015 is kind of yet to be determined because players just uh, know that they've got to be one of the top in the lead to uh, to even attempt it against a guy like Yardy or Molina. Yeah. Um, all right, then uh, you've already answered this next question I was going to have, I think, uh, partially, but I'd like to continue on it. So the original question was, do you find that the characteristics of or the statistics uh, for a catcher is more important on and off the diamond? Well, you've answered that for sure. The characteristics uh, definitely outweigh the statistics for many. But what about when it comes to a contract negotiation? What do you think there? Sure. Yeah, it was interesting to get to talk a little bit with Mitch about this and his perception through contract negotiations and such. Um, at the end of the day, my understanding of how it works is the dollar figure that's offered is 
pretty mathematical. So they're, they're looking at comparisons and statistics and things of that nature to come up with that number. From my understanding is that unfortunately characteristics don't necessarily dictate if that number is less or more. What it does, what it can have an impact on is, you know, who is interested and how badly they want you to be a part of their organization. So for instance, if you guys, if you got guys with the equal statistics or close to statistics, but you know, one's a good clubhouse guy, they're going to be really inclined to want to keep that guy there. Um, and from everything I know about St. Louis and Molina, I mean, I, I think his history of being a leader and being a student of the game and, and bringing more to the table than just stats, I think obviously is going to serve him well, whether that be with the Cardinals or whomever. Um, but yeah, I think it's a pretty straight, straightforward process as far as contract negotiations when deciding on a dollar figure. It tends to be more numbers-based than it is diving into intangibles. All right. Now, some of the uh, popular, you know, uh, statistical websites out there, uh, I'm going to use Fangraphs, for example, here. Um, they do a good job of trying to quantify how much a player is worth. Um, and so just I wanted to look at some of Yachty's statistics from the past few years, including his age, uh, including some decline in statistics. Um to try to lead up to trying to figure out a total value with this um, and try to figure out like maybe how much I, I do realize that the Cardinals are probably the king of what you guys, what you just talked about, um, Jason, but uh, in terms of coming up with a statistical formula to figure out exactly how much they believe somebody is worth. And if you look at Yachty's career, it's been a very cool trajectory. I think those first three years in the league, he was um, to put it nicely, not a good hitter. Um, for the first three years in the league, he had a 64 WRC plus, which basically means he was 36% worse than the league average hitter. Uh, not necessarily league average catcher, which is typically lower than a league average hitter. But over that time, his defense still made him worth uh, $6.5 And in those three years, he only made like less than a million bucks um, based on service time and how long he was in the majors and all that. But then for the next 10 years – he was able to put up over a decade 8% better than league average hitting. Um, he made over $80 million in the process, but Fangraph's pegs is worth it over $300 million in those 10 years. Uh, the Cardinals like to talk about their legacy players, and they've put Yachty in that category before. And at the end of his contract, two contracts ago, that final year, plus the three-year contract that he just finished, he made $74 million those last four years of his contract, in which he had started to decline. He was worth about $52 million, according to Fangraphs again. Um, and he put up a 94 WRC plus over those years. So he was about 6% worse than league average, which is still about a league average catcher offensively. Um, and so his worth was basically seen to have cut in half that 10 year stretch. He was worth over 30 million a year. That four year stretch, he was worth about 12 to 15 a year, depending on what you look at. Um, now he made nearly as much money in those four years as he did the prior 10. However, um, the Cardinals are probably looking at a guy who some of his comps, especially after the COVID crisis of 2020 and 2021, people similar to him statistically, not including the characteristics at all, are probably going to be making 
and I'm just going to pull a random number out here, but around $5 million is my guess. You've got guys who are statistically a lot better, like Eddie Rosario and offensively, Eddie Rosario and Kyle Schwarber and Jock Peterson signing for seven to 10 million. So you'd guess a guy with Yachty's offensive and defensive statistical profile to be closer to five. Um, my guess is that the Cardinals give them more than that. They just signed Adam Wainwright back for $8 million. In the contract negotiations for uh, the Arenado trade, they got the Rockies to give them a bit of money to cover this year's salary for Arenado. My guess is they're probably going to get Yachty for 8 to $10 million is, is where I'm guessing. Um, how much do you think a catcher's total value should be wrapped up in intangibles like that, especially when it's a, a legacy-type player? I think it's I think it's a good question and honestly I think that I do think intangibles matter and I think leadership especially in a catching position matters like there are things that can't be measured in stats alone and so I, I do think that needs to take uh they need to take that in consideration and I would imagine Molina and his representation also probably push that message to you know as you were giving the history to as they make decisions of whether to resign or how much to offer I think a big factor that probably impacts this too is who's in the pipeline. You know, is there a plethora of catchers in the minor leagues or other guys on their depth chart that they have trust in, or are there other catching free agents out there that they feel can come in and do a suitable job? Um, if the answer is yes to any of those questions, it makes it harder for them from a business standpoint to waver on what they think is fair statistically. So I think, I think that's definitely a consideration that would come into play. All right. And to answer some of those questions, cause I know you are not quite as familiar with our, right. with, our uh, with our system as, as the fan base might not be, as might be uh, the Cardinals have already traded away Carson Kelly because Yadier Molina uh, pretty much, earned his money the last few years for the most part. Um, they are in the process, I believe, of kind of pushing Andrew Kisner, who was uh, a top 10 to 15 catching prospect in baseball, to the side. Uh, he's kind of hit that AAA Major League Baseball limbo the last couple of years, and Cardinals now also have another top 10 in the in the majors catching prospect, and Ivan Herrera, who uh, – is probably a year or two away from the major still. So getting that one to two year bridge contract to Herrera might be what's in the best interest of the organization if they don't believe uh, Andrew Kisner is that player. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, interesting stuff here from Jason. I'm loving to hear it. Um, so if you are the Cardinals, so this is just uh, your, your thoughts here, obviously not necessarily what the league thinks. Um how much you would you be willing to pay over a five million, like twenty percent, forty percent, sixty percent, just for yeah, just so like Molina, Molina type level of intangible characteristics? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I think I don't know that I can put a price point or a percentage over over the cost. I think from seeing his history, knowing that he's still making an impact, and I think I think that's where. Uh, management should be having close conversations with not only the coaching staff, but also the pitching staff too, to get a feel for how much does this guy really impact your level of play um, and really getting to paint the whole picture. I'm not sure too many teams do that or not, but I think it's an important question to ask and really gauge that. Cause again, you can't gauge that in statistics. And I think through that information, they determine whether do we need to get this done no matter what, 
And then obviously through the negotiation process, figuring out what that is. Um, but yeah, I think it's too hard to, to set a, a percentage. I know that's I know that's, that's what the question's asking for, but I think getting all the information they need to make a solid decision and figuring out, is this one we're okay letting go if we can't reach a common goal? Or is this a guy that we're going to go after no matter what? I think dictates really how flexible they can be with that. I think you also, I think you also need to take in consideration precedent that you set. And so if you go above what is public knowledge to everyone, then in future negotiations with other players, being able to justify that, because that will be that will be referenced. Um, I can tell you right now from my own experience, I did that same type of work when I got drafted my junior year. I went and looked at all the previous catchers they had drafted, what rounds they signed in, what were their statistics in college. And I used that as justification to ask for more that was offered to me. Um, and at that point in time, I wasn't a valuable enough asset to the organization to try to meet in the middle or meet closer to what I was asking. So I think... I think uh, I think they got to also be mindful of the precedent they set for others and for the future. All right, that's a very good point that uh, that you articulated quite well. Uh, all right, well, unless you have any other amazing words of wisdom for catchers or anything out there, that I think will take us to the end of our conversation with Saruti today. Thanks, yeah, awesome. for, Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Have a wonderful day, sir. Thank you.